This week's episode is brought to you by Crater Lake Taxi. Clean, air-conditioned automobiles that show up on time. Anytime, anywhere, any day. Crater Lake Taxi, 541-333-3333. I am Citizen 44. Please listen carefully. Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. It's great to be back as always, and I hope all is well with you. Last Sunday was Father's Day, and it was really fantastic to spend some highly concentrated, high-quality time with my son and daughter, Sam and Zoe. And we had a wonderful brunch at Smithfields here in town, which is one of our favorite stomping grounds where my daughter uh, gave me the gift of a book called Seinfeldia, How a Show About Nothing Changed Everything. Uh, This is a New York Times bestseller by uh, Jennifer Keishin Armstrong. And I haven't yet dove into it, but I'm stoked that my daughter thinks of me on that level and realizes what a mega fan of Seinfeld I really am. And I'm looking forward to getting into it. I, I really have to finish... Of the Odyssey first, because I've been spending like two months on this book. And the book itself is not all that complicated to read, nor is it very long. But it's all these Greek names, these God names, all these character names that I think are slowing me down. But it's, it's of course, one of the greatest stories ever told. And I will finish it. As a matter of fact, uh, I made it kind of a deal Uh, with Andy Baxter, who I I recently spent some time chatting with uh, for an upcoming uh, show. And he said it's a book that he he never got around to reading. So I told him when I'm finished with it, I will gladly trade him that book for his first book that he wrote, uh, which now the name escapes me. But in fact, we're going to do this trade. I'll read his book. He'll read uh, The Odyssey, and we will both have completed a task. Needless to say... Uh, Brunch was fantastic with the kids, and then uh, we kind of parted ways. I took them home. Um, I actually, I interviewed Grant Williams, who is today's show. Today's show is with Grant Williams, the founder and uh, chief facilitator for an organization locally here called uh, The Edge. Uh, The Edge is a nonprofit organization that goes to middle schools and high schools, putting on workshops, if you will, to help the students increase their self-awareness and empathy for others. And uh, it's something that I have uh, intimate experience with and can tell you that it is one of the greatest things I've ever seen being done to help children these days through all their troubles and difficulties. Uh, Anyway, Grant's coming up here. He's a great guy. I really love that we have the relationship we have and that he's honored me uh, by allowing me to be part of this organization and, uh, and, and help kids. Because, you know, they're it, man. It's about the kids. If they remain fucked up, we are going to remain fucked up. Until we get this shit dialed in and start teaching these children what they need to know and how to leverage what they have and come up with better ways for us to be together... We're going to go down this cyclical path of needless suffering. And, you know, it's really up to us. 
It's all up to us. We merely have to get this educational ball rolling in a direction that can be looked upon in the future as a guarantee for developing high-quality human beings. Anyway, back to Father's Day. After brunch, uh, I came back to my apartment and uh, I chatted for an hour with uh, Grant Williams and, uh, and then took a little bit of a break and then huddled back up with the kids around 7 p.m. with some dinner over at the Wild Goose. That was their choice. They wanted some place that, you know, we wouldn't bump into people, too many people. And frankly, I thought, and I said, hey, let's go to the Goose. I hardly ever, I don't bump into people there. But of course, it's all, you know, it's a small town and uh, I know a lot of people. I mean, I don't know a lot of people well, but I do know a lot of people. And I did, of course, bump into someone like Gene Burnett, who was conducting an open mic, who is also coming up on a show, Mr. Gene Burnett, super cool cat, uh, Tai Chi master teacher, uh, singer-songwriter, prolific producer of music. I think he's got like 11 albums out, all free music. Anyway, so we went to the Goose, had a nice dinner, very relaxed, entertaining, and then uh, we went to the movies and saw uh, Wonder Woman. Now, I do not go to the movies much at all these days. And it's not that I'm anti-movie, because uh, when I lived in San Francisco, I personally, by myself, would go to the movies at least once a week. But my priorities have shifted, and movies have become, like sports and other things, less important and interesting to me. However, once in a while, you know, you got to go see something fun. And, And typically speaking, my children have to wake me up at the end of watching a movie. I mean, the movie theater's a fucking great place to take a nap. It's dark, it's air-conditioned, and if I'm not engaged with what's in front of me, I'm down, baby. It maybe will take only 10 minutes, and like being on a plane, I am out, out, out. There is no bringing me back until the last bell. So typically speaking, I will wake up like, you know, five, 10 minutes before a movie comes to the end, but... I enjoyed Wonder Woman. I also was extremely fascinated. My mother told me that the woman who played Wonder Woman is from Israel. And uh, in all these troubling times that we have and how they are related to our Middle Eastern relationship, I wasn't like, you know, speculating anything that odd about why Uh, an Israeli woman was cast in this part, but I do think it's interesting at least to contemplate the potential political ties associated with why someone from Israel would have been used in this film versus, let's say, an American actress. Again, I'm not getting into this whole conspiracy thing, but it's interesting that an Israeli person, a person from Israel, Beautiful woman, and she was great, by the way. And and the, the movie was really entertaining, and I loved her performance. And, uh, you know, other than the mayhem and the murdering stuff and the references to World War II and all the stuff that I cannot stand being regurgitated in front of our children's faces as if it's okay to watch this shit, because, frankly, I don't think it is. Um, but that's, again, just my opinion as everything is. However, I did enjoy the movie, and we had a good time, and, uh, and I loved Father's Day. It was really a wonderful day. Recently, I have taken a break from Facebook. Now, 
while I was in Thailand, I, I did leverage Facebook to communicate with my community back here in the United States or the less than United States of America. And I really enjoy being able to present uh, stories and pictures of what was going on with me in Thailand as it was going on. Like literally, it rained so hard that there were knee-high floods in the town of Moing Loi that I was living in. And I, I shot video on my phone of this incredible thing, that this natural occurrence that was happening. It was just really surreal, as, of course, most of my Thailand experience was. But to be able to report these things almost immediately to my friends and family here uh, in America uh, was pretty cool. And I think it was appreciated that I was kind of given a blow-by-blow blow of my overseas experience. However... Too much of anything, like Alan Watts says, the middle way, baby. Any extremes require extremes to come back. So occasionally, I just shut that shit down. I'll put in a posting that says, pretty much, goodbye, I'll catch you next time. So I did do that while I was away, and it, it's kind of a, it's, it's a good break, you know? Not that there's anything wrong with Facebook. I think it's a very interesting venue, a vehicle for conveying certain things, However, it's, again, like with anything else, if you binge on some shit, it's going to have, uh, it's going to take a certain toll. So I cut it off. And then when I started doing this podcast, uh, Gene Burnett specifically said to me, hey, I hope you're going to get back on Facebook. Well, of course, it would be reasonable for me to announce that I'm doing my podcast on Facebook where I have the sort of attention of a few hundred people. So I did do that. Uh, I did leverage that. I got back on Facebook and started pimping out the podcast because you got to pimp the podcast. I mean, people aren't going to just like know to go. And because I host mine on my personal website, I need to send people to where I want them to go. Now, I have gotten back off of Facebook. I got a little drowny in it. Uh, what I noticed was I started getting these weird messages on the instant messenger thing from people that uh, are reaching out to me in ways that I'm not interested in doing. So I kind of waited. I had a few kind of weird dick kind of things. Some guy, you know, I guess wanted to give me a blowjob or something. I don't know. And I'm just, I mean, I appreciate everybody. And like I said, I love everybody. I love the guy wanting to give me a blowjob. I, I, I don't want one. And, and I'm not giving them either, for that matter. So I shut that down. And in exchange for that addiction, my daughter told me that I need to get on Instagram. So I got on Instagram. And I'm still on Instagram. And what I like about Instagram is it's not very interactive. You know, you pop up a picture and people like it. And that's it. And you can pop up images that have text in it. I can communicate. I can, you know, you can write shit about your image. And so I, and you can even do live videos like you can on Facebook. And what I noticed was, and I had to ask my son about this because he's more savvy. Most of the people that are following me are these incredibly fit, tan, beautiful women who seemingly have an infinite supply of money and time and ability to travel. So I asked my son about this, and he said, they're called bots. So I guess that's short for robots, and that 
Instagram plants these things for you to follow, to increase, you know, blah, blah, blah. Get you more entrenched in the Instagram experience. Well, I did go back and look and, you know, I do have some bots, but these are bona fide people, man. These are spectacular looking women. I mean, I'm not bullshitting you, man. These are some of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. And they're all fit and they're all on the beach and they're all wearing bikinis and they all are teaching yoga or they have uh, personal fitness websites or they're teaching people how to be vegans or they're selling cosmetics, but they're all there and they appear to be real and I can message them, not that I am, but I can. So most of my followers are just smoking hot women and there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm starting to get a little burned out on the Instagram thing too. But I realize that it's necessary for me to pimp my shit. Summer's here. It's it's pretty warm in Ashland. The town is blowing up. There's there's a lot of tourists coming into town to see theater and have the Ashland experience. Uh, the taxi business is definitely picking up, and I'm getting a little tired. I have to be honest with you. The 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. shift is kicking my ass a little bit, and for the like the last five days, I've had this nonstop fucking headache, and I do not get headaches. And I literally was thinking, you know, uh, if this is it, meaning like I'm going to have these headaches and then like there's going to be a popping sound in my head and I drop to the ground dead, that's totally cool. However, some things have happened in the past couple days and I think my services are going to be needed just a little bit longer. I worked a 5 to 5 a.m. shift, as of course, as I do five days a week. And yesterday morning at about 6 a.m., uh, my kid's mom called, Val, saying that she was taking my daughter to the ER. And I didn't hear the message. I mean, she left a message on my phone. But I did I did get up to look at the phone because typically people do not call me at that hour, not even my female friend Boo in Thailand. So I got up and I saw that there was a message from Val, and I called her back. And she said she was on the way to the ER with my daughter Zoe because Zoe had some serious stomach cramping, vomiting, diarrhea, and extreme pain around the belly button area. So she took her to ER and they did a thorough examination, uh, including a CAT scan, and determined that indeed she needs to have her appendix removed. So I got up quickly and went to the ER and, uh, and needless to say, a very tall, good-looking Jewish doctor took out what he called her plump appendix. Zoe went through it well and uh, she spent the night. We picked her up this morning. I picked her up. I mean, her mom spent the night there. And of course, I was there till about nine o'clock last night. And Zoe did great and went through the pain. And uh, she had a lot of wonderful visits uh, from her cousins and her aunts and her friends. And it was nice to uh, be with her in her time of need. And actually, I read to her, <laughs> this was a way I could get some more reading of the Odyssey in, even though I think she said she read it in maybe junior high school or something, or early, maybe her first year in high school, is she asked me to read it to her. So it was cool because I had stopped cold reading it. I actually have stopped cold reading until I read Andy Baxter's book, The Exercise Prescription, which really is a quick read, just a couple hours, and I highly recommend, and it will be talked about more uh, when we talk to Andy in a couple weeks. Uh, anyway, so Zoe asked me if I would read uh, the Odyssey to her, and I did, and it was great, and uh, it, it's what helped her go to sleep, and so I feel uh, I feel glad that I I've been part of her healing, and uh, I think she's going to be uh, on the mend super quick. 
I love that kid. Today on the show, like I said, we have Grant Williams from The Edge. Great guy doing some incredible work. Really, some humanity-saving work. Some life-saving work. And I want to help him do more of that work. I'm Mark Ahrensberg. Always a pleasure, really, always a pleasure to be here. And it's a pleasure to serve you in any way you see that I'm doing so. Coming up, a surprise visit from Jess. She's our new friend. Stoked to have her around. All right, let's get on with the show. Well, hopefully it wasn't his parents that died. All right, well, I don't know anything. Well, there's an ambulance. They're right. all moving kind of slow. Maybe that was it. Yeah. That, but I don't see a coroner's vehicle here. Do you think they ditched him because he was drunk? Like, it looked like a mom and daughter, didn't it? A yeah. Mom, like, their mom, dad, and daughter? Yeah. And they were like, oh, get him out of here. He didn't seem drunk. He didn't seem... He did give me he, $20 for a $10 fare. Would you please introduce drunk. yourself? My name is Jessica Michelle Nierengarten. Ah, uh, Jessica Michelle. <laughs> JMN. Is that you? Jammin'. Uh, jammin'. Yeah. So cool. I know. I met you, what, like a month ago? Yeah. Is it even a month ago? Is it a month already? Yeah, it's been a month. It was like the 16th. Okay. Almost a month exactly. And where did I pick you up? At the Comfort Inn. Oh, right. Oh, that's right. You wanted to go to the liquor store. <laughs> that's right. And we had like 15 minutes. Yes. Anyway. And, and we... you were very straightforward and said, well, I'm not going to speed, so I don't I know. I did say that, didn't that. I? Yeah. Well, because I got a ticket like a month ago, and... So I'm trying to reduce my... Oh, I understand. So you've been here for like a month now. I've been here for a month. How's it going? It's going really well. Yeah. What are you doing it's, now? Um, right now, I'm working on a ganja farm. Oh, shocking. A ganja <laughs> farm. Who the fuck isn't working on a ganja farm I know. Me? I never knew. Yeah. I never even knew. And it just yeah. kind of all just came together. Can I ask a question? Absolutely. What do they pay to work on a farm? A ganja farm? Well, it's $20 an hour. Yeah. That's what I'm getting. And do you, um, is there a specific duty, or you just do whatever no, they ask really. you? No, not really. It's it, it has. There has been no specific duties yet. It's kind of just whatever the day brings. Well, you sent me a video of you shoveling shit and yes, putting it around. Yes, dirt. Yep, the poo dirt. That's what I was doing. Yes, I was putting two wheelbarrow loads on each raised bed. Yesterday, I was on a ladder cutting PVC pipe and connecting couplings. How was that? It was good. I almost cut my thumb off. Oh boy. Well, it's just a flesh wound, but huh. it's still it was scary. Yeah. I respect the saws all now a little more. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I'm too tall to be on the top step of a ladder. Yeah, she's very tall. She's very cute. I know you can't see her through the recording, but yeah. she's quite adorable, actually. Shoot. Yeah. And I met her adorable children the other day, too. I do have adorable children. And she's stupid talented and unbelievable. When did you realize that you could paint? Well, not... It's like Thanksgiving last year. <laughs> like, stupid skills. And her daughter is an unbelievable illustrator yeah, so she's clearly sick. some some gifting has been done and you just discovered well, it super late you know a little you know artistic i guess i mean i could i could feel like i just dabbled in a few things but hadn't really found my my medium right but yeah and then i came across all these huge pieces of wood and i started painting on them and it just kind of came together we're at ashlanders which is uh housing for the college knuckleheads and I'm picking up Carly. She's actually very sweet and a regular customer. And she likes when I play uh, Django Reinhardt because her father loves Django Reinhardt. Do you and normally pick people up at the office? Don't you pick them up at their door? What's that? Do you usually pick them up at the office? You're at the like the leasing office. Yeah. No, I don't drive to everybody's door. Oh. No. 
And they're off out in the, you can see, I can't really get to everything. Well, I don't mean to their actual door, at least their building. What if she's in, that's D, C, what if she's in A? Dude, she can walk over here. She's not fucking 100 years old in a, <laughs> with a cane. She's a it's college not kid. No, this is not Skylark Retirement okay, Village. Okay, well, one extreme to another. Where they're picking up one dead body every week. Oh, did I just say that out loud? I thought that was a cartoon. Uh, I worked at one of those places in Florida. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. And Whoa, which one's her? These holy girls cow. Are, these girls She's are on the right. to the nines. Yeah. She's Louise. I don't know. Look at her. Where are they going in those little short skirts? I don't know. Holy By the way, shit. I'm pretty sure they're lesbians. Oh. I mean, not that that has any bearing on well, anything. Well, yeah. But I'm just letting they're you know. They're lipstick lesbians, though. They are. What does that mean? That, those are the hot ones, not like the ones that look like... What? They're flipping each other off. Well, they, they, oh my god, look at these girls. I know. What Holy shit, girls, where are you going? Pride party. Ah, <laughs> you just answered all the questions. You guys look fucking ridiculous. I know, sexy. I know, right? Where are we going? Wait, look at my eye makeup. Wow. What? Wow. Pride flag. Wow. Wow. Um, we're going to go to Pub and Pies. Okay. Is, that where the, is there an event? Yeah. Well, it's karaoke tonight, but pride since karaoke. it's Pride Month and next weekend is um, Pride in Portland, they're doing like Pride karaoke. Oh, Carly, and what what is your friend's name here? Candace. Hi, Candace. Hi. And introduce yourself. I'm Jess. That's Jessica, Hi. Jessie. Carly, Candace. She I got three smoking hot women style. in my car. Are you kidding me? I know. It's ridiculous. I, it's I like look, we're just friends. I'm just a. <laughs> what? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> we are just friends. I know. Okay. I'm just friends with everybody. <laughs> I, I did buy so you far. dinner that one time, so technically you kind of owe me. Like that is a good. Oh, point. that was a, yeah. a wait, dinner, a yeah. wait a minute! 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 Wait. Technically, you need to put out. Whoa! I mean, I'm wait, I'm feeling a little uh, scared now. By the white boy hetero it's, rules. Wow! I've met no. Michael. Yeah. I thought you were. I thought that was a gift. I thought you were just treating no, me to a lovely eat. No, I didn't even get a candy e or nothing. You didn't Damn. get a. You didn't get a what? Damn. What? I'm missing things oh, in between laughs. That's okay. Down on the job, bro. Jesus, that's man. That's okay. So, <laughs> so did you say this is Pride Month? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. June is Pride Month. Mm -hmm. And is it nationally recognized holiday? No. President um, Clinton and Obama both recognized it officially. Yeah. Trump did not. Yep. So are you saying you want to run in and get a table and then take you to the post office? I mean, we drop Candace off and pay, and then I'll pay you yeah, whatever well, yeah, it is. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'll just take you to the post office. But yeah, we can do that. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Sir. Everyone, <laughs> sir. Even female really? babies. Yeah. Okay. Even female babies? Yes. Okay. Okay, <laughs> sir. Uh, what funny. do I call you if you call me sir? Um, you can call me madam. Madam? Really? You, you know me, what that infers. You can call me Miss Collins if you're nasty. Third is behind us. I know. I've lived here for 22 fucking years. Come on, man. That. Get it together. You need a fucking really Thomas show. guide still? I your act, Carly. Come on, Carly. No. <laughs> God damn it. I like my act dirty. Okay. Wow, it looks like you're not going to have any trouble getting a table in there. <laughs> Thank Christ. It's on me tonight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Crater Lake Taxi, uh, Ashland, Oregon. That's right, baby. Don't you forget it. All right, let's get you to your other destination. I'm here with Grant Williams. Hello, Grant. Hello. How are you, sir? I'm fine, thank you. I don't know how you found me, but I was called to photograph your event at Phoenix High. Correct. And how did you guys find me? 
I don't really even know to this day, I don't think. I can't remember. Um, That's quite a few years ago. We were in the market for a photographer, and I guess somebody recommended you. Okay. So uh, Grant is with an organization called The Edge. And uh, essentially, from my experience, this is a group of very loving and caring human beings who are concerned with the welfare of our children and go to middle schools and high schools teaching them how to discover their empathy and and see that they're not alone in their pain and suffering and that their young brothers and sisters too are going through things and this is a way that they can go through an experience together and see that they're not alone and that there's a lot of difficulties with their fellow students and this is a way for them to feel that empathy with their fellow students and have a totally new connection with the student body at their schools and thusly changing potentially the whole feeling of the school and and how children interact with each other in the schools. Is that not sort of correct? Uh, You're hired. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, So I was hired, speaking of, I was hired to come photograph your event, I think like four years ago, at Mm -hmm. Phoenix High School. Yes. That's when Jenny Hale was principal, who is no longer there, and Shauna Schleif was the vice principal, and she is no longer there either. Oh, what happened to them? I think Jenny retired, and Shauna is principal at an elementary school somewhere in the Medford School District. Okay. So I was invited to do a first time, uh, no one had ever photographed uh, any no. of your events before. No, I, mean, I remember telling the students that and that you would be roaming and you would also be very selective and um, careful in how you photographed. You didn't want to be intrusive on a private moment, which happens a lot in the edge. And uh, the result was you're still on the website. Your pictures are there. Let me say what that is, www.thisistheedge.org. And this is the edge is one word. Right. And we just, a year ago, a little less than that, did a documentary at Wairika High School in Northern California, and that is now on the website also. Cool. Uh, what I recall the most about my initial experience into the edge was I cried the entire time like I'm doing now. It's just like it it's, was a life-changing experience for yeah, me. Yeah, it's, it's, it can be, get very emotional. Um, you want me to give you a little background? Yeah, that, that'd be great. Thanks. So in 2003, I got connected with an organization called Challenge Day, and they had been on the map 40 years. I'm sorry, 30. And I was blown away like, like you were. I just it, They were leadership empowerment trainings, but they were the models for what happens in a school when Challenge Day shows up. How did you get involved with them? How did you? I saw them? an email from uh, a man named Carl Greaser, who sent this out to a listserv of a lot of men involved with a a men's movement called the Mankind Project, and I saw these words on the front of the screen, said "jock, punk, faggot, lesbo, stoner," and I immediately was really interested what is this about so I immediately got a hold of them and I drove to Northern California and in a year and a half I did two of their empowerment 
leadership workshops, and then I started doing challenge days at different schools. And the result was my getting so moved that I came back here to Ashland and I, I did a presentation in front of the school board for Ashland. I went to the Medford School District. Uh, Joe Kramer over at McLaughlin, he's at North Medford High now. Um, several other schools, Talent Phoenix, and nobody was interested. One of the reasons is Challenge Day charges a fee, and today it's actually pretty high. Mm. But that doesn't mean it's not worth it. They have done a tremendous service to this country and beyond since the mid-80s. So no schools were interested, partially because of the expense. Challenge Day was not offering to do a scholarship, and I had Rogue River Middle in mind. Can I ask how much they charge for their Today program? it's 3500 a pop, and if they go out of town, they, they demand two. So with expenses... We're looking at close to $10,000. And what does the school get for $10,000? What is They the get program? a five-hour workshop, including a lunch break, which essentially and fundamentally is the model for how I created The Edge. But The Edge is different. It's structured differently. It's not a copy. But it's the same approach, meaning that the essence of it is a, a process we call crossing the line. So they do that in their... Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. And they, they didn't come up with it. This has been used in all types of situations, uh, PTA, corporate, uh, military, and it's. I'm going to explain that in a minute. Okay. But I was up at the school working with some boys, consistent with a program called Boys to Men, which I used to be a part of, and I remember leaving one day, and I was crossing the gymnasium floor, and I saw Floyd... And it was like spirit just moved my body, and I drifted over towards him, and then the words came out of my mouth, Floyd, we don't need challenge today. Let's just do our own, our own thing, based on my experience. He said, great, because he knows about challenge day. So a couple of months later, it was March 09, we did our first challenge day in the gymnasium of Rogue River Middle School. And it was rough, and it was raw, and it was flawed, but... It still worked, and the kids were very grateful, and there was a lot of emotion. And since then, we've done approximately 25 schools, serving approximately 8,000 kids. Uh, I'm including a toned-down version of in an elementary school edge where we focus on bullying. And we've probably done somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, 75 edge events. We will be going back to Wairika for the seventh year in a row in September where we do two back-to-back -back, uh, for the incoming freshmen. So that's and 75 events in a span of how long? When did you start the organization? Eight and a half years. Okay. And this includes working with men, which obviously is a completely different structured event. We have done men and women together and... I've been to Nairobi twice representing another organization called Women's Centers International, teaching English and some other things. And while I was there, with the permission of the program director, I got a green light to do an edge for these women. Probably be a good time to tell you the structure. Imagine being in a gymnasium, standing in front of an incoming cross-section of students, numbering about 100 
And when they're all lined up, there's an introduction. Good morning, my name is. You're probably wondering why you're not in class. This is what we're here to do. And I give them a basic approach to why we're there and that this is going to be an opportunity for them to leave their comfort zone, tell the truth, experience vulnerability like they never have before, and let go of a lot of stuff that has been blistering inside them for too long. And then we do a dance to get them warmed up and have some fun. Then we gender split and the boys leave the gymnasium and we go into what we call breakout circles. And there's usually eight students per circle. There might be half a dozen circles. So, you know, think 50-50. This is about an hour, a little less than that. And then the boys come back into the gym, but only with the permission of the ladies because they have dropped down always more than the boys do. This is common. It's not a surprise. What, what happens in the breakout circles? Well, they're easy questions. Most of them, like, um, what's the most exciting thing you've ever done? Uh, tell me something about yourself so I know you better. What makes you angry, sad, or afraid? Uh, what would you change in your school? What would you change about yourself to be a better person? And we always finish off with, would you be willing to share something about yourself very personally and remember that we are in an agreement of confidentiality? And sometimes the boys have really dropped down and I've heard amazing stories and they get very emotional too. And it's, it's a pleasure to see that because we all grow up uh, as boys to men being sometimes trained, not even guided to think that tears are a sign of weakness and that's really the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. So we come back into the gym. Are there rules during this breakout? I mean, are there agreements amongst all the boys? Well, there are agreements around confidentiality. They understand that the facilitator is a mandated reporter. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? That means, and it's happened to me twice, if I hear anything that scares me, which means if the boy is in some type of danger, or he knows somebody that might be in danger, or he might be on the road to hurt somebody, then I have to report it. Okay. And this happens a lot with the girls. And the facilitator or leader of the circle asks the student, is there somebody in the school you trust? Therefore, that facilitator will take the young lady to the person she trusts, or a counselor, or a teacher, or principal. And we fill out a form. We have one in our files, and the school now has one. And in my case, it was a boy that was scared to go home because his mother had an alcoholic boyfriend, and he was abusive. And he was worried for his mom and himself. Game over. I went to the principal immediately and said, you need to know this. Is there any follow-up done with these children after there's a report? We always offer to do follow-up after an EDGE event where they have been opened up which is our strategy, because not until they're opened up will they begin to see and feel the, the effect they have on each other, for example, bullying, especially cyberbullying. Unfortunately, most schools have not agreed to bring us back to do follow-up. They've agreed to bring us back to do another EDGE event, but I'm sad to say they don't understand the importance of follow-up. Why do you think that is? And what is the follow-up? Well, the follow-up is a lot lighter, and it's not ever more than an hour and 15 minutes, and it's a chance for us to go back and reconnect with the kids 
and remind them that we're there because we care. Mm -hmm. And we ask them questions like, have you noticed any change in your behavior? Have you noticed any changes in your friend's behavior, classmates? Have you noticed a difference in the atmosphere in the school? Is there less tension? Is there a closer connection with each other socially, uh, scholastically? Do you sense a difference in your relationships with your teachers? These are things we want to know. And from these surveys, we can base our success rate. Now, getting back to when the boys return to the gym, this is where the rubber hits the road. And the kids are all lined up, and we put a piece of blue masking tape on the floor, the length of the gymnasium. And I explain to them, I'm about to ask you a series of questions. I encourage you to be authentic, to take an emotional risk, and be real. And you also have an opportunity not only to be truthful and honest, but to support each other. And I can almost guarantee you some of you will need it. So we start off with the first three questions around what separates us in life. And incidentally, all the adults are standing with the kids. The only person out away from the line is the facilitator, and in most cases, that's me. The first three questions are what separates us, age, religion, and race. So I ask questions like, those amongst you who are Christian, including Mormon and Catholic, please cross the line. And in silence, this is critically important, they cross the line and we have some very appropriate music playing, which helps the kids open. And then I go to Judaic, I go to Islamic, I go to Buddhist, Hindu, and if you do not believe in God at all, I just cover the whole spectrum. And they start to learn from each other, about each other, what their faith is or non-faith. When I do the age question, if we're dealing with seventh graders, I say, everybody who is 14 years old or younger cross the line now. And then they turn around and look at all the adults. And for about a minute, it's just silent. And the kids are staring into the faces of the adults. The adults are looking at them. And it can be uncomfortable. They're looking at the rule makers, the people who have the power. And then we switch to the next question after they return and the adults cross the line and they're looking at the rule breakers. The teachers who are standing there are looking at the kids who sometimes make their life hell. But we're starting to look at each other from a human perspective. This is not about schoolwork. This is about the human experience and the human condition. And we're starting to see each other on that level. Then I get to race and I have seen one black kid come out and cross the line, look into an ocean of white faces, and it's riveting. Well, that must be pretty normal in in the southern Oregon area. I mean, this is pretty, yeah. pretty white. It, it is. And I've seen white kids who have traces of black blood cross the line, mm. and you can hear people gasp because they didn't know. Right. So we're getting to know each other. Right. And it's it's deepening, and it's starting to become so real that the discomfort level has just gone up a notch but in a way it's enjoyable because it's relieving to tell the truth sure and then i go into home life those of you cross the line who know what it's like to grow up in a household where liquor and or drugs are consumed at an unsafe level if this frightens you and it's true of your story cross the line yeah, these are the questions that especially when you got to like talking about how many of you come to school without eating we get into hunger, we get into homelessness, which is a killer. Yeah. 
Oh God, the questions I've asked and, and the numbers that cross the line. Do you come from a household where there is some form of abuse? And I do not go into sexual, but I do say anything that frightens you in addition to screaming or hitting. Right. And this is when the tears start to flow. Oh, the vulnerability level is off the fucking rails yeah. during this thing. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, and the bullying, we probably stress more attention on that than anything. And I love to ask the question, those of you who have bullied somebody, including cyberspace, cross the line now. And if it's one-on-one -on -one without cyberspace, I ask the question, would you be ridiculing, picking on, tormenting this person if nobody was watching? Right. So it's a provocational uh, question which makes them think about what they're doing. And if somebody is looking at his victim who's crying her eyes out, who has just crossed the line, this is when the empathy starts to build and the, the school becomes more of a community instead of just a place to go for eight hours to hopefully learn something. But in so many cases, they don't. One of the questions I ask, are you scared to come to school because of your gender, race, or sexual orientation? And again, a lot of tears. Yeah. And can you imagine being afraid to come to school because you're a girl? It's just unspeakably difficult to talk about. We finish off with questions about cutting, which is like an epidemic. Why don't you explain what cutting is? Not everybody knows. Kids are in so much pain today that they will take a knife or a razor blade and they will go deeper than a scratch. Let me tell you a quick story. When I did a challenge day in Northern California, we got to the point where the two leaders were telling their stories while we're all sitting on the floor to give us a little impetus to tell our stories. When I say our, I mean the kids. I was on staff. And a young lady stood up, rolled up her sleeves, and you could see like 30 cuts on each arm from the wrist to the shoulder. And she said, you see this? This is who I am. And in the past six months, I've attempted suicide twice, and I couldn't even get that right. And all of a sudden, about 15 kids got up off their butts on the floor and ran to her and took her in their arms. You could not see a dry eye in that room. And she was queen of the prom on that day. Hmm. I'll never forget that moment. And cutting is a way for the kids to empower themselves, to say, I can do this and nobody can stop me. It's a way for them to diminish or even deaden the pain of feeling isolated and lonely and insignificant with no self-esteem. And sometimes this is a precursor, not always, to attempted suicides. Every 20 seconds in this country, a 13 to 17-year-old attempts suicide. And it's more than that now because that's an old stat. 13 Reasons Why on Netflix. I highly recommend this film. It really gets into the nitty-gritty of why kids are checking out and who is responsible. We all are. And one of the things I say to the students, if you want your school to change, if you want less conflict, trauma, tension, it's not up to the teachers, it's not up to the parents, it's not up to the cops or the counselors, it's up to you. If you want a bully-free zone, if you want a place where you can come learn and feel free and safe, it's your school. 
take over and do what's necessary. It's kind of if, like the Declaration of Independence, for Christ's sake. If you see somebody getting pushed around, take a chance, look deep in your heart, take a risk of physical injury and go up to that bully and say, we don't do that here. And maybe you'll have six kids standing next to you. And that bully's going to learn a lesson that this is not okay here. And a simple ridicule can get a person on the edge to where they're very fragile, just like a simple pat on a shoulder can literally save a human life. One of the things that I noticed that's pretty fascinating is that the adults participate in this too with the questions. Yeah. And the students get to see that it's not just the student, that there's their counterparts. We are all in the game of life and death together. And I say that verbatim. We're all in the same boat. And when the kids start to see the humanity of the adults, they start to trust them more. Because when we've done follow-up, we ask the kids, what did you learn? What's the most important thing? They say, I thought I was the only one. So when they see that they're not alone, they really start to connect more. After the last question, we used to do gold line questions where we acknowledge their strengths, their character, their sacrifices. How many of you have let a homeless kid into your house because you didn't want him to sleep outside? How many have helped raise a baby brother or sister? How many of you have tutored uh, a classmate who wasn't as smart as you? There's at least a dozen questions that they can answer, and then we see another side of them, not just the painful side, but their mature side. The third and final section is when we sit them down in a horseshoe and we pass the mic and we ask them questions, what would this like for you? And sometimes kids have, I hated it, but I will venture to say over 90% are profoundly moved. They've loved it. And I see apologies that are tear-jerking. A predator will ask to speak to his victim, and the facilitator will get both of them up, standing as close as you are to me, and they'll say, I want you to please say what you want to say to this guy, or girl to girl. And he'll apologize for all the bullying, and he'll promise he's going to stop. And it's absolutely... He's got 100 witnesses, too. It's not like, you know... Yes, Ultimately, healing and transparency involved. I can't tell you how powerful it is. And then we see kids stand up and bless each other and thank each other for being in their lives. And they leave that room. Their self-esteem is soaring. They feel different about their friends. New friendships are made and kindled. And old weight off their shoulders too when they leave. Yeah, there's this burden of information they've had to push way down. And now they've been able to be kind of freed through this experience that they can get it out so they can be light again and, yeah. you know, move around the world. In all honesty, I want to say it's not risk-free because a year from the date of somebody sharing, somebody conceivably could use that against that person. But my position is if these kids are in this amount of pain to where they, are, they want to end their life, a lady... I think in California just got found guilty because she encouraged somebody on the phone to take his life. And her life, as she knows it, is over. And it's endemic now. They're doing it in groups. This is true. Like three, four girls at a time. How, what, now, what is, 
What is this practice? Because it's contagious. This is the amount of the level of failure in parenting and in school monitoring. It's that bad. So I think it's time we try something different that is not risk-free because it literally can save a life. And we know of three suicide preventions. And I'm not going to say the school. I won't give you the principal's name. But when we we did our second one back-to-back, he came into our closing circle with tears in his eyes choking, barely able to tell us, I want you guys to know that one of my students, a seventh grade boy, and that would be middle school, the very beginning, which tells me that elementary school can be a nightmare too. This is where they they start to learn it. He said, that young boy just approached me and he said, because I, I just experienced this thing called the edge, I decided not to kill myself. And he just lost it in front of 30 people. And If we have 100, 120 kids, we need 12 to 15 men and 12 to 15 women Mm -hmm. to staff. And that's mainly in the breakout circles. But then when they participate in the line, they also help me control the situation because you always have people... Uh, well, there's goof-offs, and there's, they're fidgety, yeah. and they're nervous, and they're not, not comfortable. centered, they're not present, yeah. and they're putting on a mask of faking it, which really tells me they're scared to death mm-hmm. to answer these questions truthfully. Yeah. And there have been kids that have had to leave, and if I'm able to, I'll walk outside with them and check in on them, and I'll find somebody else to stay with them, because mm-hmm. they might be going back to a household where there's an out-of-control boyfriend, to his mom, where there's uh, all kinds of situations involving drugs, alcohol, abuse. And sometimes schools are so poor that this kid has nobody to talk to. Mm -hmm. So this edge has been a great relief, but it's also, it's testing him. And the pain levels rise to the surface, and sometimes they they literally need to be held up. When they do that with each other, on their own turf, feeling safe, of all the research we've done, and we've done a lot, there is no other program that comes close to what we can accomplish. I don't care what it is. It's, it's uh, been proven over and over again. And I want to repeat that uh, we're not attached or connected to Challenge Day in any way whatsoever. They were my unwitting teachers and I wanted to create something on my own with that as a model. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it's been used in all kinds of areas. Hospitals, doctors, uh, and nurses on one side of each other. Imagine what that would be like, telling the truth. Well, I, uh, the whole thing is applicable for human beings just across the board. I mean, Absolutely. in every aspect of life. We've gone to the domiciliary wanting to work with military guys that come back from Iraq, Afghanistan, who have lost limbs, who have severe PTSD, and with nurses and doctors participating with them, they could have an unbelievable experience of healing. You I get really... a lot of pushback on this, though, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, we do. That's what I mean when I say it's not risk-free. Okay, this is important. Before we go to a school, we send them what we call the package. And in that package is every question we're going to ask. Right. So it's full so disclosure. They have full disclosure. We also send them a professionally written model of a passive consent letter, mm-hmm. 
which we practically demand that they send that to every parent of every student that's participating that day. Mm -hmm. Twice when we got in trouble, the school forgot to do that. Mm -hmm. So a student goes home, hey mom, you're not gonna believe what I did today, these questions they ask, and the mother freaks out. Right. And in a very real way, I don't blame her. Sure. And the two times we got in trouble, the Board of Education uh, in Phoenix were on our side and they believed in us enough to quiet this woman down and say, you are not gonna destroy this program. We want it here. And the other time, I got baited in a telephone interview with a newspaper in Grants Pass and I said two words that I shouldn't have even though they were truthful. Mm -hmm. And that got us in trouble with that community. Mm -hmm. So I am not mistake-free, but for the most part, I think we've done an unbelievable amount of good. And if you go to the website and go to the testimonial page, you will read miracles. Uh, but two or three months ago, I'm in Target, and I'm buying birthday presents for my great nieces and great nephew. And a young woman came up to me named Alex Hull. And she said, are you that guy with the edge, I remember? And I said, yeah. She said, well, I want you to know I did the one in my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And it changed my life. And I almost fell over. I mean, that kind of compliment. I mean, I'm still lightheaded when I think about it. And I got her to send me an email. I said, please remember what you said. So I wrote that into our testimonials. And then... Counselors, principals, students, especially the students. I've recently been contacting Sandy Hook, thinking if we collaborate with them, maybe we could help each other. Right now, they're in a war with Megyn Kelly and NBC with this interview coming up with Alex Jones, who thinks Sandy Hook was a hoax. That'll be enough of that. But when I imagine an EDGE event done at a school where there has been a tragedy or something lighter like sexual harassment and a young boy having to move out of town, which happened here in Ashland. I think that if we could have been there, these things would not have happened. Have you hooked up with the new superintendent here in Ashland? She does not come in until the beginning of July. Okay. So I have a plan to see her, and I've already been there, and that's what her assistant told me. Right. I'm going to New York the first week of July, and then I want, as soon as I get back, I will look her up. I mean, it's a whole new opportunity, hopefully. My dream from the very beginning has been to get into the Ashland School District. Well, you know, Ashland High School is a fucking mess. This is what I've been hearing. They have a great program called Fresh Start mm -hmm. for incoming freshmen. And I've heard that the middle school in Ashland has a lot of problems. And I've heard the same thing, including race about Ashland High School, and it really saddens me to hear these stories. And They're having more sexual harassment problems, is what I understand. It's, it's really sad, and it's because boys, I've said this a thousand times, boys are raised with three fundamental signals that tell them what it means to be a man. One, success means making a lot of money. Two, being able to kick that guy's ass on the street or in the athletic field. Three, sexual conquest. All these things define what it means to be a man, and that's total horseshit. Well, if you're a fucking caveman, I mean, that's pretty... Uh, caveman. That's, yeah, that's Neanderthal thinking. So that's why we have these problems, and that was at the core of why Boys to Men was started close to 20 years ago.
And where did it where did it? It started out of San Diego with two men named Joe Sigurdsson and Craig McLean, who were new warriors with the Mankind Project, and they decided, why don't we do the same thing? This kind of intensive training for boys entering adulthood. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't get them and there's not a role model around, they will get in trouble. They will join a gang. They will do something to connect because it's in our blood to do this when we get to that age. And if there's no father around or a father who doesn't really know what he's doing, then the boy is going to be a troublemaker. And right now I'm telling you part of my story. And I think there's some misconceptions about the uh, utopic area we live in. Even Ashland, it's more it's, fluent. It, it's a bubble. Yeah. But at the same time, it's still part of the world. And I'm seeing now that we are experiencing all the pain and suffering that everybody else is. And sometimes seemingly more magnified. Yeah. We have everything here that people out there have different kinds, flavors, levels, but basically the same problems. Yeah. And I, I feel for the parents, I honor them whether it's a single mom, dad, or even both of them, they can't do it alone anymore. That's why we need programs like Boys to Men, The Rose Circle, uh, Woman Within, Mankind Project, and The Edge to help them with their personal growth and to realize, for example, with a boy and a girl, I highly recommend all parents, if they can find somebody, to get a mentor. Because their jobs are different. Yeah. And there's a credibility factor, too. Nobody believes their parents and nobody wants to listen to their parents, but they would take information from the outside. They would. And I think the key component of what a mentor doesn't do is judge. Right. Unless he asks permission. Now, a parent has to do that and has to create consequences for learning. Right. But a mentor can diminish the problems of that job 20-fold. Isn't even having counselors in schools these days, like, it doesn't exist? It doesn't exist, or some schools have a counselor one day a week. One of our board members is a counselor. She has been for 20 years. She is so highly skilled and trained, I don't think there's anything else she could do in terms of getting better. And she tells me horror stories. And I again, I, I'm not going to tell you the name of the school, It's a pretty long drive from here, but it is in Southern Oregon, and I cannot believe what these kids are going through every day. And some some of them, they just have nowhere to go to ventilate, to talk about what's happening in their lives, and they get home, and it just gets worse, and they probably look forward to school, not as a place to learn, but to get away from what's going on at home. So it's it's very sad. The statistics are impossible. I don't know what the future holds. We are struggling right now because the schools are not opening their doors to us as much as I wish they were. What is their apprehension? Is it the risk involved with opening these children up we, and then having to deal with Yes. That? We did this yesterday with a threat analysis uh, in our board meeting. And I think litigation plays a heavy factor, even though... We're insured twice, the board and the edge itself. The mm-hmm. school is insured. And as I said, it's not risk-free, but it's time to try things that for the most part are, are very successful. And I think the schools are also, particularly the teachers, they don't want their schedules disrupted more than not. 
They do not participate in the edge. They might have something else to do, which is they see as more important. I get that. But if they choose not to do it and they stay away for three hours, I don't know what they would do, maybe prepare for the afternoon class. To me, that says, well, I don't want to share my personal life with my students. And I can understand that. Yeah, but it also says I don't give a shit. That I, I don't want to say anything that would make me sound adversarial to a teacher because to me they're heroes. I know, but you have a preliminary meeting with the administration yes. staff. Yes. They know what you're going to do. Yes. They realize that their participating actually helps. And, and Well, the ones that don't show up don't know because, well, maybe they do and they don't to echo you, but sometimes they don't know and they just choose not to be in the 30-minute orientation circle before every event when I explain that we are all mandated reporters. This has to be confidential. Look out for this. Look out for that. If you have a problem with a student, give him the questions. Let him take over and be the leader. Uh, we have all kinds of little clever ideas to get them to engage. Mm -hmm. And if I see somebody being disruptive and other kids are giggling and laughing and I see a problem, I will go in my humble way, but very direct, move him to another part of the line. Well, this is where you need the administrators and faculty anyway I to support you. I need them to back me up, yeah. to tap somebody on the shoulder saying, please come with me. Right. And if you do it right and respectfully, all he's doing is moving 10 feet away. Right. And he could be ending up having a, uh, an epiphany as maybe a gang leader, and the girls around him are going to notice this, mm -hmm. it'll change their lives. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many students tell me that this is a transformational experience and that they'll never be the same again. Well, they can't. It's, even if they don't appear to have been affected, there is no doubt in my mind, based on what I've witnessed. Yeah, that's a good point. They may not admit it, and they may not even show it. But, you know, down the road when they're 30 years old and they're adults... And they're making decisions now. I guarantee that they have been affected by this program. And that night, when they go home and they're in bed alone, that's all they're thinking of about. Of course. How could they not? Yeah. It's <laughs> profound shit, dude. Yeah. It's unavoidable. You cannot fucking shrug that off. Just with, even if you don't participate yourself and you don't cross the line, you watching your fellow classmates crossing the line and admitting the truth in some super fucking hardcore ways about your life. You can't avoid that. Yeah. It's unavoidable. I wish there was time to ask all the questions. Uh, we, we do learning disorders. And then my favorite part of the whole line is when I, I want you guys to know some of the company you're in. And I say Einstein, Steven Spielberg, Agatha Christie, and, and uh, Edison, and all kinds of people that had learning disorders. Henry Ford. They changed evolution, for God's sakes. Right. So don't ever let anybody tell you you're less than them or anybody else. I used to do eating disorders, and I would have people that were way underweight or way overweight cross the line. But I have to, it's hard to eliminate some questions because they are so exhausted after an hour of this. Oh, I, I'm exhausted. So I got to take you know the juiciest ones, and I have to do it in a way to where it builds. Yeah. And... It's, you know, the emotion starts to get stronger as 
we get deeper. And then, of course, the last question is about suicide. Oh, another one is, uh, have any of you kids, do you have a brother, sister, or parent having served in Iraq right. or Afghanistan? And then I say, if any of you know what it's like to not have a parent or sibling come back, stay where you are, and the rest of them move back. Right. That's Well, that's also devastating. That's deep. Yeah, and that's really something for those other children to understand yeah. when they're their family have you lost somebody to uh, a gang right and a lot of emotions and so it's a way to grieve as as well as a way to let go of anger it's a way to support somebody many times i'll say you know what you guys i see a lot of people hurting right now i'm not asking a question if you want to cross the line and, and put put a hand on a shoulder do it 30 kids will just run to somebody and they will hold that person up, and then the tears really start to flow, yeah. and all that is is just incredible healing energy. Sure, yeah, I've, the the release mechanism of it is probably the most beneficial for these kids because at least in the moment they can purge, yeah, emotional purge. Good word. And 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 get a little cleanse on so yeah. they can kind of start over again. Yeah. And breathe. Yeah. Because I know exactly. they're just, they're not breathing. You know. Yeah, they're they're decompressing and letting go of pain. And there's something magical. I've been doing this for almost 18 years. When people share pain, something happens, and we become more deeply connected. Sure. The the whole idea though is to not make it too temporary. And I think that's where we're having issues. Is and even when you don't do the follow-up, when you're not allowed to come back and find out where these people are with their emotions and not check in, who's checking in let with me, them? Let me give you the perfect example to that. Why, Rika, like I say, we're, we're going to our seventh year. Every student in that school has done the edge mm -hmm. because we start with the freshmen. Senior buddies, like 20 of them, come in to assist. Right. And then, which is great, by the way, it's such a way to even come in on their level by introducing their students as a potential facilitators. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, the seniors graduate, the juniors become seniors, and then they help us with the incoming freshmen the next year. And then the previous freshmen are now sophomores. Right. And some of the sophomores and juniors come back just because they want to. Right. And this is part of. The beginning of the year. So it's not like there's a class getting interrupted. Right. And they take care of us, man. Fruit, water, donuts. They really like us. And we have been in intimate contact for years with them. And we really listen to what they want. Right. And when we had this documentary made, it was rough. Because the filmmaker wanted it done his way. And the school said, sorry, and I'm in the middle. But I'm on the side of the school always. Right. It, it got ugly. Huh. But but you produced something. It got done. Yeah. And the thing that we had to take out was a boy in my circle mm -hmm. that when we gender split. Mm -hmm. He got to crying so bad that he couldn't breathe. And we had to stop everything. So and just he was. Yeah. And you know, hand on the shoulder, yeah. breathe. Yeah. And he finally calmed down. And something like that is so private that we couldn't show it. And, and I get it. His mother didn't want it. She found out about it. And this year or next, some football player that's 50 pounds heavier than everybody else is going to 
that's the risk with being vulnerable, uh, that somebody will see that and exploit it and sure. go after that kid just because he can. Yeah. But again, it's worth the risk because of the well, good that comes out. Well, if you don't risk, there's nothing's going to happen. I think that's the rule of life. Of course. You've got to take chances. What's the purpose? Well, it is about risk. It's about Helen, getting Helen out of your Keller zone. wrote something beautiful about life is an adventure. You know, of course there's going to be danger. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, it wouldn't be all that fun either if it was too easy. I mean... When look, you and I were kids, you know, bruised knees, elbows, sure. this is part of growing up. Of Today, course. somebody gets sued. Yeah. For a bruised knee because they weren't looking out or doing their job and it's it's yeah. sickening. Yeah. But we're in a new age now and you know, something like the edge in my day, it, it probably would have been some, some interesting questions, but cutting and suicide and homelessness Super and heavy hunger. Now. Yeah. Nobody was not a thought in our head. Drugs that was a pill in my mother's medicine cabinet. Or smoking weed. There was nothing serious. That was something you shot in your arm, and nobody knew what it was. You know, there was also none of this ADHD labeling, all this fucking... Yeah, good imposing point. ...imposing illness on children. Yeah. Just because they're a little different, or they just need some different kind of attention, we have taken the pharmaceutical industry and imposed it on the will of our children and parents... Which is just making everybody sicker, frankly, in my opinion. Well, that the pharmaceutical, are, they're creating more clients than they are. Well, cures. of course they are, and they know it. Even in their disclaimers, they pretty much tell you, "Hey, this shit can fucking kill you." Did you see that Thomas and Edison thing on the internet? When he was a boy, he took his report card home, and his mother read it to him, said, "You, you're a whiz kid. The teacher loves you. Uh, you're going to do great." And then he, after her funeral, he's a grown man. He's already invented electricity. <laughs> or the light bulb, anyway. And he reread that letter. Right. And the teacher said, your son belongs in a special needs. He's really dumb. He has nowhere. He's not going to succeed. Take my word for it. He, he, he needs help. These kids say it when we do follow-up. Well, what's the number one? They don't listen to us. We're unheard. Right. But after an edge event, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Well, you can't shut them up, we I'm sure. We hear them, we feel them, yeah. we see them. Yeah. And they want that. I volunteered for three years in the middle school. The reason they allowed me to be there is because, one, I'm not on the payroll, so I can kind of be me within the system. And I would engage children in philosophical conversations. And you could see their eyes light up. They want to talk about real shit. They want to learn about life. Yeah. We're not educating our people, which they is should. why we're having these problems there should be a class um at least once a week for every kid and that's at that school time of their lives talking about shadow for example and i'm not talking about the unconscious mind mm -hmm. and how we're not supposed to be good there's a darkness that lives in all of us and sure. we have to make it conscious they would eat that up of course and hold on to it until the next week of course so we don't do that because we're stuck with federal subsidies. Testing is off the charts. My, my board member counselor said she's ready to pull her hair out because of what these kids are forced to do. They're not learning anything when they're doing 30 days a year, full days worth of time a year of testing. My daughter's been out of school the last three months because she's a straight A student and not because she's super smart. It's because she fucking works hard. Well, she got behind. She got behind. She got depressed. She got scared. She couldn't even go to school. 
because she's afraid of failure. Oh, man. That's... So I told her, you don't have to go back to school. Her mother fought me on it for a little bit. I said, no, her health and welfare come way before fucking school. I said, even Mark Twain said, don't let school get in the way of your education. We are not educating our people. We are putting them in fucking containers. Carl Jung said, show me a sane man and I'll show you someone I can cure. Here's the crux of the problem. We actually know what to do. We full well, we should know better. We know what to do. We're just not implementing what we well, should be doing in the best interest. people in power like Betsy DeVos that doesn't know what to do, but we have, or I don't want to get into politics now. But I don't talk politics at all because it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's boring anyway. Yeah. We have to do, listen, first of all, those people are us. There's no them and us. It's all of us. It's all our fucking responsibility. If we want changes made, and I mentioned the Declaration of Independence because it fully says, if you don't like what's going on, don't fucking tolerate it. Take care of it. Stand up and say, this is not working. We want something different and be part of that change. This is our forefathers telling us ahead of time. Things could get fucked up because politics are politics. It's kind of a one-dimensional, thoughtless, semi-unreasonable way of governing people who should be governing themselves but don't know how because we don't teach them. So you they know, the funny thing is that our framers, karmically speaking, were probably advanced spirits. But at the same time, even though they wrote this wisdom of the ages, they were slave owners, and they probably did shit that was as bad or worse. And it's that division of who we are as a person, you know? We're, we're cut down the middle, and we have to put up with Being the yin human. and the yang. And My mom was talking to me about Einstein and the difficulties he had in his marriage. He was a womanizer. You hear about... Einstein was a womanizer? Yeah. You hear about Gandhi, who let his wife essentially <coughs> die, did not take care of her medically. We are downloaded a lot of shit and are responsible for a lot of information, but fundamentally, we're all still human beings and fuck-ups. Yeah. And because we're not taught how to be better human beings and leverage this incredible organism that we have, we are getting this byproduct of incredible, beautiful wisdom and amazingness coupled with shit. Well, this is the kind of class that I would like kids to have to get back into the school, and we don't, and I think it's probably fear-based. Maybe at charter schools they do, where there's more independence and less control coming from the superintendent or whatever. I, I have a friend that used to teach a charter school here, and they did things that he would get fired for if, sure. uh, if I said it on the air here. Well, that's the future anyway, is these new kinds of, of educational opportunities where people like you and me are, have the ability, have the credentials, have the financial means to start new education process. Well, I totally, I, I wanted I to sit there all day and No, talk. I know, and I wanted to ask you about you, because we talked about, which is great, we talked about the edge, but you have a pretty colorful existence yourself. Where were you born? Washington, D.C. What year? 1943. What'd your mom and dad do? My mother, uh, college student, never graduated, volunteer nurse, met my father, in the 30s, they got married in 39, honeymooned in New York. He started an old business with a loan from her father, married 54 years. Wow. And lived in New York and Arizona. Are they both passed? Yes. Yeah. How old are you? 74. Wow. You look great. Thank you. You must be happy for the most part. I have no right to complain because when my mom passed, my sister and I had an inheritance. Yeah. And this is why I'm able to do things like The Edge. And yeah. I've done a lot of other stuff, which makes me feel good. And I'm glad to be on the planet. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna offer you an honorary Father's Day because you've Thank probably you. been a bigger father to some of these kids than their own fathers. I actually have been mentoring a boy since last summer, almost a year now. He just graduated from Armadillo Tech Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, or no Oregon. Phoenix, Oregon. the town of Phoenix. Yeah. It's right down the street from Phoenix High School. Yeah. There were only 14 graduates, a very small school, probably 50, 60 kids total. Mm. And I think that's one of the most vital needs in our country now is for men, especially who are elders and have the time to take on the job of becoming a mentor. It could literally save a life, if not make a life, to give a kid hope and a chance to think of himself better because he might not have anybody around except a mom. And he needs that male role model energy to let him know that it's okay to fail, for example. Well, I'm a dad, and, you know, I'm divorced. This is my constant thing. I know how devoted you are. Is, is that making sure they're getting enough of my energy and that there's balance? Yeah. Well, I just well, want to say it's been an honor to serve with you and, and be part of The Edge, even though I haven't done it for a while. It's, I mean, it's, it's a part of my life. I hope this podcast, I hope somebody's listening and says, you know what, we need this in our school. Uh, again, this is theedge.org. And contact information is on at least two of the pages. And give us a call and we'll come to you. Something I forgot to say. We do this free of charge. These are all older people who want to give something back to the community. Our executive director is the only one on a payroll. Mm -hmm. And we show up because we care. It's that simple. And the schools pay nothing. Do you think maybe that's... Oddly enough, a yes, I think it might be factor a factor that the value proposition is not there, so they don't that, think they're getting anything. I think that's the American psyche. If it's free, it must not be worth anything. But I've been at schools where, oh, I mean, the poverty level, it's sad, and they can't afford enough teachers, let alone a counselor. And so, how can we? Ask them to pay us money. I mean, it's... Well, it's impossible. I mean, I can't even imagine that you Even schools that are doing well, they... I mean, other programs are very expensive, and they're replacing us. Literally replacing us. So how do these schools find the funding to hire a different type of program versus getting you for free that you can come in... I think it could be a grant. It could be donations from a parental organization. Incidentally, the PTA is a thing of the past. It just doesn't exist. Yeah, I know. The middle school has no organization whatsoever for parents. And it's really sad because the PTA, when I was growing up, I mean, standing room only. My mother was the president of the PTA, man. That was a big deal. Parents were involved on that level. Now they're just too distracted. They're not... They don't even have time. they got to work too yeah, hard. It's sad. Anyway, Mark, thank you Thank for you, brother. This. Appreciate your time. Yeah. It was fantastic. Well, that's the show. Hope you enjoyed it. It was great to hang out with Jess and uh, kick it a little bit with Carly and Candace. And uh, Grant, mere words cannot express how much I appreciate what you do for these children that desperately need the kind of help that you give. I'm honored to have been a part of it, and I look forward to remaining a part of, in some way, uh, what you're doing to save the world from itself. Next week on the show, we have prolific songwriter and friend, Mr. Gene Burnett. Super cool cat. 
know I say super cool cat a lot, but all these people I know are super cool cats, so I'm going to just call them all super cool cats. I hope that's super cool with you. My daughter Zoe is on the mend. I think she's doing much better. I took her an ice pack and three large chocolate frosties from Wendy's. I guess she uses these to choke down the horse pills she has to take. She's not really good with the whole taking pill thing, which is good because frankly, fuck man, enough of the pills. We need to get these people on some uh, natural homeopathic remedies that are growing all around us that we treat like enemies. Hope you have a great rest of your week. It's hot, hot, hot summer, man. Oh my goodness, it's so hot. I'm so thrilled to be in this big, fat 2012 Lincoln Town Car with newly newly worked on air conditioning that blows cold as a witch's blibbity-doo. Okay, until next time. Word to your mother's uncle. To find out more about Grant Williams and The Edge, please go online to www.thisistheedge.org. Also, if you live in the Southern Oregon area and would like to get involved, please contact them directly about volunteer opportunities. Citizen 44.